0: All right. <laughs> Never know, these recorders sometimes. they. <laughs> okay, we're in First uh, John chapter 3, and we'll begin reading with verse 4. Whosoever commits sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil." Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and killed his brother. And why killed he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer and you know know, that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. By this perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whosoever hath this world's goods, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his compassions from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit, whom he hath given us. Therefore, let's pray. Loving Father, we do thank you for the reading of the scripture, for the blessings of it to us, for the confirmation of our faith in Christ and the confidence that we have in him. We thank you, Father, and pray now that you would bless each one as your spirit is able to minister to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this passage being a little bit lengthy, yet at the same time there is much here that can be commented to, and that the scripture itself is its own best interpreter. You know, when we come to the Bible, we sometimes look for other people to explain it to us and to interpret it to us. And it is of uh, the, the uh, art of the pastor to try to do those things. But yet, we find that the Bible in itself interprets the scripture even as we read. For it confirms it upon our hearts in those areas of our greatest need or our most basic need that we have. Well, as the... Theme is drawn here. The confidence of the believer is in Christ because. Notice that I've tried to identify a key verse for each one of these. The first one, the key verse, is verse 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And of course, um, that becomes a key verse to what we're saying here. The confidence of the believer is in Christ because he was manifested to take away our sin. And so, um, as we look at uh, the first uh, few verses here, verse uh, 4 through 10, or 8 especially, we find that... um, Jesus is in view because he was revealed to us as the Son of God and we find that sin, of course, uh, being the very uh, fallen nature of man to transgress the law of God uh, also is part of the subject matter and that Christ alone was able to take care of that sin problem. So looking at verse 4, whosoever commits sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Now, I know that you're probably thinking, or may think, when did the law become in place? Well, we might think of the Mosaic law, for sure. And then there were various... uh, Laws under the Levitical priesthood, and so on and so forth. Um, prior to that, well, you might even think of the of the Flood period. Where was the law there? Except that God seemed to have officiated through various patriarchal men who gave commandment as they were instructed. Well, certainly Adam gave commandment to Cain and Abel. And, of course, we find that comment is even made here about Cain and that he was lawless because he did kill his brother. And we might think of Job. He was a patriarch to his family and, of course, did, did offer sacrifices unto God. Um, as a patriarch, and so was a man who was righteous and feared God. But you may go down through many of the um, pre-flood people that are there. Uh, Certainly Noah was a, a godly man, a righteous man. So what I'm saying is, though the Mosaic law had not been given, there was a law in place, a law of righteousness, a law which was governed by God as he um, was able to minister to his people. Of course, uh, the problem with the pre-flood period was that um, they did sin against God so grievously that it repented God that he had made man. And the word for repented actually means to be grieved, Um, It doesn't mean to change one's mind as we commonly think about it in the New Testament. It means to be grieved, very grievously sorrowful because man had turned away from God. But getting back to the text here a little more closely, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So whether it is pre-flood or after, there was a law in place. Um, it was different in the sense that God was um, working a little bit more directly with people in the pre-flood period. And verse five, and ye know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. So um, by the time we get into the New Testament and the apostles and the prophets uh, uh, are in view and their teaching of the of the committing of sin and the transgression of the law, we know that it all had to do with Christ. Christ himself came and was manifested to take away sin. Um, And uh, ye know that he was manifested. Jesus was manifested. And here we understand it to be in particular note of the incarnation of Christ. That's how he was manifested. He came into the world, and his world knew him not. The world knew him not. Uh, But he came by incarnation, as God did bring forth his Son into the world. Uh, So this was John's way of introducing the incarnation into his conversation. To take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Well, ultimately, that that is the reason why Jesus came, the reason why he was manifested to take away our sin. Um, could God have done it some other way? Well, we didn't receive that information. <laughs> but we, 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 did, we have received information that, that God sent his only begotten Son. Well, this is why the gospel becomes so important, isn't it? Even as Pastor Bo was talking this morning about the, the real gospel of Christ. Um, we always need to preserve the, the true gospel, the gospel that is identified in the scripture. Otherwise, it, it, uh, it becomes another rather than the true. Uh, so Jesus was manifested to take away our sins. Uh, it jumps right from Jesus coming in his incarnation to the final outcome, sins being dealt with, at the cross of Christ and it's all in the same statement and as believers we know what what is being implied, what is being said we know that Um, and here again is why I'm saying to you the Bible becomes its best interpreter everything we know about why Jesus came and what he did on the cross leads leads us to this point and you know it because you are a believer. And you know it because the scripture confirms it upon your hearts. From what has already been said. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ according to the scriptures. Um, this is, this is the, the heart of the gospel. In verse 6, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Well, again, Here. There is, a, there is a general statement being made to a specific happening. The specific happening is that uh, those who have been born again, those who abide in that new birth, abide also in Christ. Whosoever abideth in him, Christ, sinneth not. Now you say, well, I've done a few things since I was saved that I'm not so happy with. Well, that's true. But you see, there was a difference between Cain and Abel, even in the pre flood period, wasn't there? And the difference was, Cain was righteous, uh, excuse me, Abel was righteous and Cain was unrighteous. Well, jump into the New Testament and Christ has come and he has died for our sins on the cross and the same thing is true. There is a difference between the unbeliever and the believer. The believer is righteous and the unbeliever is unrighteous. It's as simple as that. It's black and, it's black and white in the scriptures when it comes to these, these eternal and divine truths. And so though it offers us some hint of um, responsibility here uh, on our part, yet there is an eternal and divine truth behind it that we cannot deny Because to deny it is to remain in our sin. To deny it is to say, well, I never was changed. To deny it is to say, I don't have any confidence in Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. That is true. Uh, Abel was righteous. He did not sin. Not because he offered a lamb, but because he was righteous and did what was righteous. And he, he, had, he was truly a godly man. Abel was a godly man. But the opposite is true of Cain. Whosoever sinneth, hath not seen him, neither known him. Well, here is the opposite. And the same thing is true here. If a person is known to be a sinner, they are unrighteous. They are not godly. They do not abide in Christ. They do not know him. They never have known him. You know, we can all offer our personal experiences, but I've been helping my brother um, do a little sawing on his portable sawmill, and my brother is unsaved. I know that he is. He doesn't really confess the Lord at all. But the point is um, here is that there was an example that was kind of showed itself to me just the other day when i was over to my brother's and we were working together and that was somebody came and bought some tuba fours and this guy came two, two men actually one was older than the other and the older the older man every other word was full of cursing and swearing and and profanity and it was an obvious display of someone who was living an ungodly life, an unrighteous life. I don't even have to know his, if he's got a church background. I don't have to know anything else about him. I don't have to know anything about that man. Because he revealed himself so clearly and plainly. He uh, And... Here it is: Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. And the Spirit of God in me just identified him immediately as someone who was not godly, not righteous, did not know Christ. And you know, sometimes you meet people like that. Now, this—that is what he's saying here. That is what he is saying. There are those who sin and know not God, and the reason they don't know him because they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And John is, is obviously um, con- making certain contrasts here. He says, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. And so there are some, some statements that are being made. They are made very clearly. And, uh, and uh, just so that uh, his, his hearers, those he is writing to, would know, those believers, he says, let no man deceive you. Well, we know that deception is a part of the world. The world wants to deceive us into thinking certain things. <clears throat> And you could come up with a, a whole list of them, but, you know, of deceptions in the world. That there are many ways to God. That you 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 don't need you don't need just one way. Jesus is not the only way. There are many ways, and you know there are many deceptions. Many deceptions. Um, you weren't actually created by God. You were created by billions of years of. Evolution. There are many deceptions in the world. You see, many deceptions. Some of them so basic they go to the heart and core of everything we we for everything, every reason we live. For every reason we live, uh, you know, um, and these are deceptions. These are deceptions. Let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. And that last little phrase, even as he is righteous, tells you that that person who is doing righteousness is righteous because he was made righteous. Because he is in Christ, you see. He is made righteous. Uh, he that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. So, you know, here we... John goes now into this... Um, he even brings the devil into it from the beginning. Well, we know that the, we know that the devil did beguile Eve. He beguiled Eve. He he seduced Eve. And uh, you know, uh, uh, this fe- the feminists can do anything they want to do and say anything they want to say, but it doesn't change what the Bible has to say. A man and a woman were to, designed to be together. And the devil knew who he could pick on. <laughs> he knew he, who he could pick on. And that's what he did. He committed, it, the devil was, was after Eve. He knew that he could get to, get to her. So he that committed sin is of the devil. For the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested. Well, here we are again. Uh, the word manifested comes into the picture, doesn't it? So the devil, he, uh, he beguiles Eve, and like a little bull with a, with a ring in his nose, uh, Eve clips onto Adam's nose and says, You're going to do what I tell you, I don't care what you say. Eat the apple. <laughs> and, and Adam just went right along with it because he was stupid enough to do so. <laughs> Because he was just as weak in his particular area of weakness as Eve was. It's just a different area. Adam showed no great heroism. You know, he he followed his wife right to the apple tree and they chowed down. And you know, and uh, you know, Eve. Why well, she? She was very easily seduced into uh, thinking this was quite all right. He says, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. Well, now, in the mind of God, of course, it is no afterthought that Jesus came and was brought into this world. Um, in, as an incarnate son of God. It was no afterthought you see. The, the scriptures you can go, of course go back to Genesis 3.15 if you want to to the very first proto-evangelum, as it is called and you can identify that the seed of the woman, whichever it was the woman has no seed by the way, the seed of the woman would be a big problem uh, but here we find that John says it differently. He says it differently. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. Again, the, 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 the incarnation, you see. Jesus was manifested. Jesus was made incarnate because the devil did sin from the beginning and he caused the problem between Adam and Eve. And God. that he might destroy the works of the devil so Jesus was brought into the world as the incarnate son of God in God's plan in eternity past that he might be revealed that he would destroy the works of the devil you see the scripture does say it sometimes differently than what it says in other places but it says it it says it Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. So if you take verse 9 and put it together with verse 6, you see it's really saying something very similar, isn't it? Verse 6 says, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not, whosoever is born of God doth not sin, doth not commit sin. It's saying the very, very same things, really, just differently. For his seed remaineth in him. What seed? Well, if a person is born again of God, then they are, they are born from above, you see. You must be born again. You can't just be born of the flesh. You must be born of the Spirit as well. And so, here we find the seed that remains in him... And it could refer to Christ. It could refer to the person that is talking about who was born of God. And uh, there's a couple of different controversies about what the seed is representing. But when you come right down to it, it has to be the new birth or the new regenerate life. It's the new regenerate life. So if a person has the new regenerate life, he doth not commit sin. Why? Because Christ is his righteousness. You see. It's not because we don't transgress uh, or do something we shouldn't do once in a while. No, this is going to back to something more basic. It's going back to the basic element of righteousness opposed to unrighteousness or those who are regenerate as opposed to those who are unregenerate. Just as Abel was righteous and Cain was unrighteous, just as a person who was born of God is regenerate, and just as a person who is of the devil is unregenerate, or a person who does unrighteousness is unregenerate. You see there are contrasting elements here. And... I guess up until this point, kind of all hinges on this th- on this element right here. Let no man deceive you. Yeah, there's been a lot of discussion about sin, and well, the Catholic Church has uh, has a certain arrangement. You have to go to the priest to get forgiven, uh, and 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 it could be many, many times you would have to go. Every uh, Saturday. Yeah, 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 but. That isn't what John is telling us. John has said Jesus was manifested to take away our sin. Jesus did take away our sin. And he who was born of God is born of God because he was manifested to take away our sin. So this is going to the foundation of things rather than to some you know, emotional confusion that sometimes people have about, about the whole subject. In verse 10, in this, the children of God are manifested and the children of the devil. So now the manifestation goes to those who are righteous and those who are unrighteous. The children of God are righteous, the children of the devil are unrighteous. The children of God are regenerate, the children of the devil are unregenerate. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth his brother. So John throws in another subject here, which is kind of a telltale sign of righteousness as opposed to unrighteousness. Not only the person who, who doeth not righteousness is not of God, the person who doesn't love his brother or hates his brother, is not born of God. You see, the contrasting views come down to some very important underlying truths. So secondly, the confidence of the believer is in Christ because he laid down his life for our sins. Now the key word that I'm trying to zero in on here is confidence. We should have every confidence that there is not any sin that will keep us from being known as the righteous and the regenerate children of God. And it is because Christ was manifested. He was, he, The incarnate Son of God came. And then the second one here, he laid down his life for us. Remember, John mentions that right here. He mentions that Jesus came for that very pers- reason. That very reason. Verse 11, For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and killed his brother, and why killed he him because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous? So he he brings Cain into the picture and he lets us know that Cain was truly not of God at all it's kind of amazing to me in a way you know we think about well sin sin has just gotten worse and worse and worse over the years and years and, and we we always say that i that it seems to be so much worse than it ever was before we say that but look at Cain and Abel and that was right at the outset and the the bible is saying that Cain was of the devil And that that isn't just a a trite expression to put somebody down. It's assigning fatherhood to Cain. Rather than saying Cain was born of Adam, Cain was really of the devil himself. That's that's, quite an amazing thing to say here in this the children of God are manifested and the children of the devil two contrasting views whoever doeth not righteous is not of God neither he that loveth not his brother for this is the message that ye heard from the beginning that we should love one another not as Cain who was of that wicked one and killed his brother and why killed he him because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous it's as simple as that Abel was righteous Cain was unrighteous Cain killed his brother because he was unrighteous. He hated his brother. He didn't love his brother. That seems to be the point why John brought that subject up in, in the first place here. Cain hated his brother. He didn't love his brother at all. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. Well, again, the world, not, a, not the cosmos, not, not the creation, but rather mankind. Marvel not, my brethren, that mankind, unregenerate mankind, hate you. Do not marvel at that. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Another indicator, if a person hates his brother, he is, he is unregenerate. If a person does not abide in love toward his brother, he that loves not his brother, he abides in death, spiritual death. And, of course, we could cite Romans 3.23 and other passages. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life. You see, we, we, we find here that uh, these basic truths are being layered one upon another. For what reason? That we might realize where our true hope of salvation and righteousness is. For these distinguishing characteristics show themselves. The righteous and the unrighteous. The regenerate and the unregenerate. By this perceive we the love by this excuse me, verse 16, by this perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So here's the, the key verse for then number two, he laid down his life for us. We have confidence in him because he came, the Son of God came into the world, the Son of God. He was made incarnate. We have confidence in him because he laid down his life for us. He actually died for our sins, you see. he lit, He loved us so much. God loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten Son. A truth that we... We, we know so very well. But these things are basic to our understanding and our true confidence in Christ. In verse 17, But whosoever hath this world's goods and seeth his brother in need and shutteth up his, his compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Well, there's a couple of areas of responsibility that keep coming up. One is, you're supposed to love your brother, and now he says, you're supposed to have compassion toward your brother, and if you have need, something to, to help your brother out, you should be willing to do it. Now, some of those things, are, they're so basic to who we are as people, they kind of identify us as, as either being loving or unloving, or selfish or unselfish, or sacrificing or unsacrificing. You see what I mean? These things identify us in different ways. But they also identify us as whether or not we are truly regenerate of God. Which is even more telling. Whether or not we are even regenerate of God. God whether we even have the righteousness of Christ in us, you see. But whosoever hath this world's goods, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his compassion from him, how dwelleth he the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Word and tongue are similar in the sense that you can say things, and you can mouth them, but it really doesn't prove a lot. But he says, do something more than that. Do the deed and live the truth. Do the deed and live the truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts of him. So Jesus laid down his life for us, our confidence is in Christ because of that. And that word confidence goes further than simply, I know something. It's saying, in effect, because Christ is in me, I am living in a certain way, in in a manner of righteousness, and I do not sin because my life has been changed by Christ. Thirdly, our righteousness, love, and faith is in Christ. Righteousness, love, and faith. And so we, we see that in verses 19, 20, and 21 especially. By this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts of the truth. For if our heart condemn us, greater is God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Well, there's, a lot, there's quite a bit that has already been said here about why we should have confidence in God. And he brings up this matter of whether or not we love our brother and whether or not we're willing to, to give or sacrifice for our brother and whether or not we're able to, to live the truth, do the deed, live the truth, or whether or not we're just mouthing it. And now he says, and by this we know that we are of the truth. In other words, there should be some great assurance coming or evident, there should be some great assurance evident in our life to us and to others that we are of the truth. And of course, this isn't a, a subjective truth. This is an eternal truth. It's talking about the Christ. Jesus, I am the way, the truth, the life. We believe that he is the incarnate. We believe that he has died for our sins. We believe that the things that we do, we do because Christ is our righteousness and that we are regenerate of him. We believe those things. These are are the truth. These are the truth. This is the truth. By this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. And our, so our hearts are assured before him because of these things. Then he says, For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart. Well, sometimes we, know we do become quite condemned by ourselves. <laughs> we do. But where is your confidence lying? Is it in Christ or is it in yourself? You see, it's in Christ. So we cannot, let, we cannot let our disappointment or our doubts or our fears or the fact that we still transgress, we cannot allow anything to deter us from the eternal truth that matters most and becomes our greater asset to having a heart for God. Why did David in the Old Testament find himself in such a privileged way toward God? He had a heart for God. And God knew it. God knew it. It wasn't because David was so great. I mean, no, he wasn't so great. But he did have a heart for God. And because he had a heart for God, you see, his confidence was in God all the time. Yeah, he made, he made some mistakes. I think that these Old Testament truths, these Old Testament people, well, even the New Testament tells us that the Old Testament is like an example to us of things that we need to know and learn. And so we should be very thankful that God has given us such men in the Old Testament to learn from. And to realize that they weren't perfect people. They weren't. But they they were people who were identified as either being righteous or unrighteous, regenerate or unregenerate. We use that term for the New Testament especially. But in the Old Testament, righteousness and unrighteous are to fear God and not to fear God. Those are terms in the Old Testament which keep coming up. And David feared God. David loved God. David was righteous. Even when he did unrighteousness, he was righteous. God had anointed him and never removed his anointing from him. Beloved, if our hearts condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. If you know this truth, if you realize the eternal nature of this truth, that Jesus was manifested for us, that he laid down his sins, his, his life for us, that righteousness is of Christ and not of us, if you know these things, he says, if you know these things, beloved, if our hearts condemn us not, then have we have confidence toward God. You see... There's no need for our hearts to condemn us if we have confidence toward God. We just need to remember these things. These things are the important things to remember. And whatever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Uh, Verse 22 has got to be a good one. I suppose the extent of what is being said in verse 22 has great ramifications for us as Christians. But I would say that because all these things are true, verse 22 is is not only true, it is an eternal truth. And it may be that we need to live in that eternal truth more than what we do to see the the best outcome of it. In a practical way I'm talking about. Because we all we all pray and we all ask God for things, and we all look to to God and we desire to keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. You see, but all of those things there are kind of like this spiritual life that we have to walk by faith. But they're all built off from something eternal. The Christ himself and his coming, he laid down his life for our sins, eternal righteousness, eternal life. Everything that we know that is eternal Verse 22 was built on, not built on how good I am. And this is his commandment that we should believe on his name, on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And this is is a good verse. This is his commandment that we should believe on on the name of his son, So God gives us this command. Believe on the name of his Son. Love one another as he gave us the commandment to do so. And I think verse 23, everybody can do that. And everybody who is a believer can do that, right? We can. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him and he in him, and by this we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit whom he hath given us. So this is the confidence that we have in him. The righteousness, our righteousness because of the righteousness of Christ. Our love because of the love of God toward us. Our faith because of Christ. Christ. For by grace I saved through faith. And you can translate faith here as confidence if you want to. Because he talks about confidence right at the end there. The idea of confidence. In verse 21. Beloved, if our hearts condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Well, it takes faith to have confidence toward God. We've got to believe Who Christ is, we've got to believe He laid down His life for us. We've got to believe that we are regenerate of God. We've got to believe that we do not sin because Christ is our righteousness and we will be able to live in that righteousness, in that love, and in that faith which is in Christ. It's a tall order that we are given. But it it is our confidence. It is where our true confidence comes from. These things which are eternal. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you for your word to us. Ask for your blessing upon your word. And by your Holy Spirit. Whom you have given us. That we might abide in Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen.